Uh, everyone, this is Kane. Hello, George. Kane, um, tell the folks how you became a believer and the impact that the church you were at in New Zealand made in your life. Yeah. All right. Uh, I got saved in Queenstown in New Zealand in August 2008. Now, I'd come from there. My background being kind of army. Um, when I left the army, I'd kind of gone down the road of drink and drugs, depression, all that sort of thing. Um, I'd come to the point in, uh, we around about the September time, I lost a lot of weight, I was, I was physically dying, and um, I ended up in, in a church. didn't realise it was a church. As I walked through the doors, um, one of the big guys got me, a big guy called Pete. Um, I said, what, what is this place? How come everyone's so happy? This time on a Sunday morning, he says, this is a church. Said, let me out of here, let me out of here. I'm not going in here, you religious freaks. He says, come on, just chill out, come in, sit down. But he sat with me, got me a coffee, and um, from that point there, yeah, I give my heart to Christ. And I walked out of church that day, and the, um, my addictions, drink, drugs, depression, all the rest of it, just just gone. The desire to do any of these things, gamble, um, all of it had gone. Now, about two weeks after, two weeks after getting saved... You know, I'd heard the, the old uh, cliche, oh, God's great plan and purpose for your life, which was cool. Um, it's great the first time you hear that. Um, then I lost my job, and I ended up homeless, stuck on the other side of the world, without a penny to my name. Um, no way of getting back in the UK, legally not even allowed to work. So this, so this, this, this guy, Pete, um, he approached me the... It was a few days after I lost my job, everything had fallen apart. I hadn't told anyone. He says, he says Cain, um, I was thinking this week, you know, um, we've got a, we've got a, spare, a spare flat um, going above the house if you want. It's fully furnished. Um, it's sitting empty most of the time. You know, like I know you're kind of living by yourself at the minute, so if you want to move in, just feel free, move in. And, you know, we, we, cook, we cook a meal for sort of six, seven, eight people every day, every night anyway. So if you want to join us for the meals, it'd be great to have you. And I've also, um, I've got loads of work on at the minute. Absolutely loads of work on at the minute. You know, if, you, if there's any way, you know, you could give me a couple hours of your time helping me out in the building sites, that'd be absolutely great. So I took all of um, two seconds to think about it. Oh, that'd be great, man. That'd be absolutely awesome. But the thing was, that was my, you know, my first 12 months of, of becoming a believer. You know, I can be totally honest. Um, I don't know if anyone can relate to this. Um, I wasn't interested in God. I wasn't interested in Jesus, the band, the music. Um, the preaching was phenomenal, but I wasn't interested in any of it. The only thing that really got me, that really captivated my heart, was was these real people, this bunch of believers. All right, they had something, and they gave it to me. They, they just gave it to me. They invited me into their homes. It come to the point on Sundays, I literally had to take my my diary to church with me and. Um, I'm not that particularly organized person um, to arrange my bookings for the people's houses I was going to for dinner every night of the week, which was cool. All right, so all my needs were met. You know, friends, family, this acceptance, work, everything. The church met my every need. And it was only through these relationships. There was one day, you know, I, I really came to the point. I never experienced anything like this before in my life. And I said to Pete, you know, we ended up coming heads to head, you know, head to heads. I thought I was a big guy, but he was just a little bit bigger. I said, why are you people treating me like this? That's a different Pete he's talking about. Pete. This is Pete. No, a d- d- different Pete. 
he's a big guy. He was a. Hi, <laughs> so other New Zealand Pete. So how come you guys are treating me like this? What, what have I done? I could be any. I was fully aware of my background. And he goes, "You got to understand, Cain. Ten years ago, I wouldn't have cared less about someone like you." <laughs> and I stopped swinging. I said, "Okay, well, what's the score then?" He says, you know, I've come to this understanding through my experience of church was that Christ loved me through people. And now this is the same love I have for you. Completely accept you unconditionally. You know, everything that I have is yours. So this is my, my first 12 months of getting saved. You know, I really, I really grasped this concept of church. How big um, was this church game? It was thousands, thousands and thousands. You know, and um, there was there was different churches getting, um, getting getting launched and planted weekly. You know, there was a um, one, one of my mates in particular. He was one of the he was he was into all the skateboarding, um, snowboarding in winter time. And he says, "Oh, I really want to reach these these guys in the skate parks. You know, they're going to the skate parks, drinking, taking drugs, getting wasted every weekend." So he was released, started doing church in the in the, in the skate parks. And there was hundreds of them getting saved. Um, there, was the, there was the older generations going in the cafes, doing church for the older generations. Um, there was single parents, you know, um, booking halls, doing church with the single parents. There was, there was guys in the college, going to the colleges, doing church in the college. It wasn't restricted to the restraints of a building on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. It was, it was, it was life. It was a community. It was real. It was, it was absolutely everywhere. And, and the growth was absolutely uncontainable. So I suppose... My, Coming back to experience just, of church. Just to, just to clarify that, so it wasn't the professionals doing the stuff. No, no, no. It, it was... wasn't restricted to. It wasn't restricted to to pastor man on the stage or the musicians, um, which was all nice. But it wasn't. But no one's life was getting transformed. This was the church active, each taking individual responsibility for the lives of other people, not just coming along, attending, you know, seeing the pals, doing the, the Sunday social thing that happens on a Sunday. But it was real. Folk were going in the world and doing stuff, doing real, real stuff. Okay, talk, talk about how you left. How I left New Zealand. Um, remember the, the, the airport. It absolutely broke me. It absolutely broke me because I remembered how I got into New Zealand. I, mean, I, turned, into, I turned up in New Zealand uh, depressed, anxious, drank drugs, gambling. Um, uh, made quite a lot of money um, through, through, through fighting for quite a few years. So I had no friends. I had, I had nothing whatsoever. I'd literally turned up in New Zealand with a rucksack on my back and I was just going to make my way. Middle of my time in New Zealand, I got saved. And as I left New Zealand in um, August, I say 2008, there was over 50 people seeing me off at the airport. These people, each one of them, I could honestly say I loved dearly. Brothers, sisters, mothers, figures, father figures, brothers, sisters, <laughs> children, you know, people who, whose life... That had, that had impacted me, and within this first year, you know, people whose lives that had impacted, it just happened. It was a culture. It was just a way of living. You know, that's 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 not been my experience of of church culture here in, in Scotland. You know, and it, it frustrates the life out of me. It really, really does. Um, I think we've got a lot of work to do, and I think as every man, woman, and child needs to rise up, take a stand, and take a bit of responsibility for what Christ has put. In each of our hearts. Um, no more time for Wayne. Father in heaven, as we turn to the Bible, as I share things that you put in my heart to share, 
pray that you'd speak to us. I pray you'd make yourself very real. God, I'm sharing things that I believe with all my heart you want to speak to this church today. And God, I, I, I dare to pray that you would make what I'm saying very real for people. I pray you'd reveal yourself in these words. I pray you'd speak through me. I pray you'd reveal yourself. I pray you'd deposit a seed in every person's heart. Father in heaven, as we turn to the Bible, as I share things that you put in my heart to share, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray you'd make yourself very real. God, I'm sharing things that I believe with all my heart you want to speak to this church today. And God, I, I, I dare to pray that you would make what I'm saying very real for people. I pray you would reveal yourself in these words. I pray you'd speak through me. I pray you'd reveal yourself. I pray you'd deposit a seed in every person's heart that's here today. And transform us as individuals and as a community of people. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Three o'clock yesterday afternoon, um, Chuck Colson died. Chuck Colson, many of you won't be, know who he is, but many of you will. Chuck Colson uh, started Prison Fellowship 35 years ago. 80 years old, he died. Today he's in the presence of God. Two billion years from now he'll be in the presence of God. Because that's what God does. And he's made a big impact on earth. And he, he was involved in the Watergate affair. Him, he was in Nixon's grouping. And he was fully uh, guilty for his part in, in that whole affair. And he admitted that in a court case. And, and he was taken into prison. Spent time there. When he was in prison, he met God. God saved him. God brought him to himself. And, and he's written this book called Born Again. Anyone read Born Again? A book about Chuck Colson. Very good book. Uh, how this guy met Christ in prison. As he was leaving prison, one of the, he was, he was in his dorm at the time. It's it a few days before he was being let out, having finished the sentence. They were, some of his dorm mates were playing cards. And one of them, a big six foot tall prisoner, a guy called Archie, said, Hey, Colson. You'll be out there soon. And what are you going to do about us? What are, you going to, what are you going to do for us? Suddenly the whole room went silent. Everyone's wanting to hear what Colson replied. I'll help you in some way, Colson replied. I'll never forget you guys or this stinking place. Bull, said Archie, slamming down his pack of cars on the table. You all say that. I've seen big shots like you come and go. They all say that sort of thing when they're inside. And then when they get out, they forget us fast. Ain't nobody cares about us. Nobody. Well, he went out and he founded Prison Fellowship. And 35 years on, every day, thousands upon thousands of Christians visit prisons and support prisoners, ex-prisoners, and families. I remember when I was 17, I, I was involved with Prison Fellowship. I, I, I played the guitar, and I, my friend Charlie, who was an ex-convict, he went in every Sunday morning and shared his testimony and shared from the Bible with prisoners, whoever wanted to come. And he said, Peter, you come and lead the worship. <laughs> I thought, yeah, great, help these guys sing about Jesus. Great, this will be fantastic. And it wasn't that great. And it, Anyway, not all of them wanted to sing, and that's okay. But anyway, that was my experience. I went into several prisons doing that as a 17-year-old. Prison Fellowship, Chuck Colson started that. 
This is a quote by Chuck Colson. One of the most wonderful things about being a Christian is that I don't ever get up in the morning and wonder if what I do matters. I live every day to the fullest because I can live it through Christ. And I know no matter what I do today, I'm going to do something to advance the kingdom of God. And I want that to be what every single one of you in this auditorium is able to say every day of your life. Every one of you. We want to live that kind of purpose. Not just as individuals. Everyone, but also collectively. I believe God wants us to live purposeful, meaningful, God-glorifying, high-impact lives. That's why we're here. Okay. Is this working? No, it doesn't look like it, is it? Let me bring you to uh, what Jesus said about that purpose. And this is the crux of what I want to share on today. It's found in Matthew 28. And uh, you probably don't even need the verse up there. You might know it off the top of your head. Jesus said to them, this is after Jesus has died on the cross, risen again on the third day, and now he's about to ascend back to the Father where he is today. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is what people call the Great Commission. And what I'm going to share with you this week, part one, and part two next week, is exactly what I shared with our leaders. Our leaders weekend away, there's 120 of us leaders up there at Comrie Croft a few months ago. And I wanted the leaders to get this because I believe this is what we're going to be about as a church. And now I'm going to share it with you folks. Because I want everyone, not just the leaders, but I want every single person in this community of God's people not just to know this stuff, but to be living this stuff. There was a kid, he liked judo. And uh, he had a horrendous accident. In the accident, he damaged his arm so badly, his left arm had to be amputated. And uh, many people thought, well, that's the end of your judo. He was just a young kid, but he was showing so much promise. But the judo master said, well, I'll still train you if you're up for it. And the kid said, I want to keep going. I want to keep playing. I love it. And the judo master said, okay, well, well, I'll train you. But he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to change the way we train. I'm only going to, I'm going to focus in on one particular movement, one particular action. And I want you to master this move. So he taught this kid one particular move. He, he got him to teach. He taught it and taught it and taught it until the kid just knew this move, just verbatim off the top of his head. The championships came around. And uh, the kid started doing well. Made it through several rounds up to the final. He won the final. He won the championships. It was incredible. This one-armed kid won the championships. How on earth did he win the championships? Two reasons. First reason is he had mastered one of the hardest moves in judo. And he could do it. Second reason is the only way out of that move when someone's got you in that lock is that you grab their left arm. One thing. Just gave himself one thing. It's the one-arm judo move. We have a one-arm judo move, church. It's go make disciples. You want a reason to wake up tomorrow morning? Go make 
disciples. It's the one big agenda. It's the big agenda that will bring strength and health in the church among God's people. The kind of health and strength that Cain describes uh, in that church in New Zealand. Even though there were thousands and thousands of people in that church. And yet there was a depth and a community there that was rich and beautiful. It's this one-arm move, it's this one-arm judo move, it's this making disciples that will also not only bring health and blessing and strength and community in the church here, but it will also bring impact like nothing else will bring impact in this city. This is what we're going to give ourselves to. We have an internal need for community. We have an external need to impact our city. And I believe the Great Commission meets both. Recapping, you've heard us speak over the last few months about community. And you say, well, Peter, if we need community, then surely we should be focusing on building community. And that's the myth. That's the big myth. If you do that, it's the very thing you don't get is community. Let me give you an example. The footballer, the guy who loves football, he totally loves playing football. He loves it with all his heart. So what he does is he goes and plays football. Football's his thing. And before he knows it, a few months in, he realized, I've got some really good mates here. He and the team have become comrades. They've become friends. They're experiencing community. Now, did he go into that to build friends? No, he went into that because he totally loved football. But what was the byproduct of him being involved in that environment? He got friends. You see, community is never the goal. It's always the outcome. Same in the Bible. You know, the, 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 very, the one thing that built such deep and rich and strong community in the book of Acts chapter 2, that you read that chapter, you read awesome community, the first ever church on planet Earth. What brought that community? What brought that community? And what brought the impact that they made in the surrounding cities? A de- devotion to the Great Commission. What was it that those disciples, those 12 people, who became followers of Jesus Christ, they gave themselves to following him uh, for the three years of his ministry? What was it that caused them to have such... In- I mean, they were so close. That was a close-knit team. They, had, they went from being individuals to having camaraderie. They had community. I mean, they had laid their life down for each other. What was it brought that community? And what indeed was it that empowered them to go on and literally transform the world? A commitment to the Great Commission. I believe it's the thing, I believe it's the thing that Cain was describing in that church experience in New Zealand. What was it that gave that rich experience where a new guy coming in could instantly be loved and embraced, whoever they were. You know, it's so real, so powerful. Well, it was an environment where they reached people and grew people and loved people. It was a total commitment to the Great Commission. You see, we've seen it wrong. And here's how we've seen it wrong. The old culture, and we're talking about culture change, we're talking about new culture. Old culture was, you saw, like, this is the game, okay? And I'm the player, and you're the spectators. And this is the game, Sunday. This is the game. And you're the spectators. I'm the player. And this is the game. It's called church. But actually, that's the wrong understanding. The Bible understanding and what Cain experienced and what they saw in the book of Acts and what the disciples experienced was this. That actually, you're the players. You're the players. And the game, it partly happens on a Sunday. But it also happens on a Monday and a Tuesday. It happens in your living room. It'll happen in your school and university. It'll happen in the workplace. It'll happen in your local pub. That's the game. Not that you have a local pub. 
That's the game. You're the players. I'm the coach. I'm the coach. And the leaders and the staff, we're the coaches. Biblically, our role is to equip the saints to the work of service, Ephesians chapter 4. Equipping God's people to the work of ministry. Who's God's people? It's you. Our role, our calling, our designation is not to do the work for you. We're not the players. You're the players. If we're going to change a city, and if we want to change a few hundred people, I'll be the player. But if you want to change a city, along with the other churches, then you guys are the players. Permission to run with the dream. Permission to become disciple makers. Permission to live the very purpose that God's put you on earth for. Go for it. Just do it. Permission given now. Jesus gave permission 2,000 years ago. We're just kind of waking up to it. Go make disciples of all nations. So you're the players. The game includes Sunday, but it's Monday right through the week. And who are the spectators? Well, I'll cheer you on. But there's a great cloud of witnesses in heaven, the Bible says in Hebrews, cheering you on. Those who have gone before us, go for it. Go for it. And, and also the city will be watching. The city's looking. Because Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your This is a great book called the Bible. Have you ever heard of the Bible? <laughs> Jesus, remember Jesus? All right, okay, let's, let's try again, okay. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The city's going to look on, they're going to be spectators and say, you're disciples of God, you're disciples of Jesus Christ because you love one another and you're loving us. We're amazed. You'll, they're going to experience it like Cain experienced. Cain went from being a spectator to a player because he experienced that love. He didn't just told about it. He experienced it. It was a tangible experience. It changed his life. And I believe that's what we're called to be and do. So we're changing. We're, we're, we've been a successful church. Thank God. We have. We've succeeded where other churches haven't. We've grown in a, in a culture where, thank God for some churches that are growing, but it's, you can count on this hand the amount of churches in Scotland that are really growing and thank God we've been one of them. But it's a drop in the ocean compared to what God wants to do. Honestly, it is. It really is. God wants to see thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands coming to faith in him. I believe that's not mythical. That's not a hype talk. That's real talk. I believe in the death of Christ and I believe he deserves the glory. I believe that death should have full impact on earth and bring salvation to the multitudes. I believe that. And I believe we have a role to play in that. So, I, I, I think we've been successful to a certain degree, but there's so much more. So, how do we go from here on? How do we get to the next thing? Well, it's by actually changing. It's about culture change. It's about understanding the game differently. The game's there, including here, sure, but out there as well. And through the week, and, and so we're gauging success differently. In other words, for us, success is not just about bums on seats on a Sunday. So, are you a successful church? Yeah, we have this many people on a Sunday. Well, that's part of the gauge. Sure, it's part of the gauge of success. But that's not just our only gauge of success now. Now we're also gauging success by how many of you are connected with small groups through the week. Because that will decide whether or not we're just a crowd or whether we're actually a community. It's not just about lines. It's also about circles. You're not just sitting in lines. You're sitting in circles, eyeball to eyeball, knowing people, growing in that faith and being impacted by God. So we're gauging success differently there. We're gauging success also differently in that we're not just counting... We see this many people come to faith on a Sunday. Well, I thank God we see this many people come to faith on a Sunday. We see over 400 people a year coming to faith in our Sunday services. Last year we saw about 80, 90 baptisms and about 430 decisions for Christ. 
Praise God. But you know what? That's not going to be our only gauge of success. I mean, that's a certain indicator. But do you know what's going to be a bigger gauge of success? Is that sure we see hundreds coming to faith on a Sunday. But you folks saw thousands coming to faith through the year, through the week. That's going to be a big gauge of success. Are we, not just me, but are we making disciples? I've got my part to play in it, but it's more of a coach. You're the players. You're called to make a difference. I'm changing. I am changing. I think every believer needs to be changing. But I, your pastor, is changing. My, my agenda is no longer just to be the best preacher I can be for a great church. I've, I've, I've flipped. Not, not like flipped. <laughs> I, I, I've flipped in a good way. Here's what my, this is my new passion. I want to raise up world-class preachers. I've been doing about, a few years ago, 85% of the preaching. Last year, 75% of the preaching. This year so far, about 65% of the preaching. You've been noticing there's been other people, right? From September onwards, we're going to start an evening service in Leith, okay? So have a morning and evening in both Leith and Gorgie, and we're going to put them at the same time. So just now we've staggered the time so I can go from here to here to here and preach, preach, preach. Then I sleep very well on Monday. But we're moving to the same time. What does that mean? It means that I will be in either Gorgie or Leith on a given Sunday and I will split my time 50-50 between the two and other people will be preaching. I'm going to raise up a team. Why is that important? Because actually it's not about just me being the best preacher I can be. It's about me mobilizing people who have got that gift into their callings and empowering them to live their dream. I'm, I'm changing. It's not just about actually us being the best church we can be. It's also about, I want to see as many great churches started as possible on this earth. It's not just the one thing. We're not just, I'm not just wanting a tree. I'm wanting a forest. So I, I'm changing. So yesterday, there was about 25 folks going through church planting training. And I'm doing this four times a year. We're training up church planters. Next year, we're starting two churches. We're starting a church from here in Asia, and we're starting a church from here into Eastern Europe. And I'm going to ask, maybe some of you will pray about going with the teams to become church planters as part of a team. And maybe we'll give some money so we can give them a startup funds. Because actually a church's success is not measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. See, when you understand the Great Commission, you gauge success differently. The leaders in our church are changing. You see, for, 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 many, for many, maybe success used to be, I want to have this great home group. But actually, when you understand the Great Commission, really a better gauge of success isn't that I've got 13, 15 people packed into my living room, but rather I've sent out 13 people to start home groups, small groups. That I've not just been a dead end, a cul-de-sac in the Great Commission, but rather I've been on the highway of the Great Commission and I've allowed people to be trained up and released and start their own home groups. Do you know what? When the church was 50 people, there was maybe a few home groups and there's maybe 10 leaders. When the church was 300 people, see the people, who were, the people who are still with us when the church was 50? All of them, when the church was 300, were leaders. So here we are, I don't know, there's about 600 folks coming on Sunday if you add the services together and take away the overlap. Okay? Uh, I do the sums that way. Last week, there was 750, yay, praise God, and 22 baptisms. Um, but, so, 
the, here we are, that's, that's the many people. So say we get to 5,000 people. See if you're still around. Likelihood is you're probably going to be leading something. You're going to be it. And they think, oh, I'm just, a, I'm just a member. No, no, no. You'll be the leaders. That's where it's going. That's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Great Commission. It's talking about mobilizing you. Not to do more than you can, because not everyone's called to do certain things. you just got to stay within your sphere, sure. But everything God's got for you to do, we want to mobilize every single last one of you into the call of God on your lives in line with the Great Commission. Give me an amen if you believe that. So in Edinburgh, we've been planting churches. We've been... uh, We've started two churches so far, and they've both started churches. Dunfermline started Kakodi, Inverness has started Dingwall. Uh, we've not, not just started churches, we've also gone from one campus to two campuses, praise God. We've trained up 120 leaders in this home groups around our city. Thank God, right? But up till now, it's been pretty much the professionals and the key leaders making that training happening and making that thing happening. And what we're saying is we're wanting every person, every person in the church to be committed to the Great Commission. Um, There's a debate among scientists as to a decision, well, what makes something alive as opposed to dead? What's the definition of alive? For example, what makes a virus alive? Or is a virus an alive thing or is a virus a dead thing? And one of the definitions is very simply this. One definition of being alive is that it multiplies and reproduces. Multiplies and reproduces. Who's a Trekkie? You don't even know what that is, you're not one, right? <laughs> Trekkies among you, you may have seen the Star Trek episode years ago entitled Trouble with Tribbles. Anyone see that one? It's the same, the PowerPoint's not working. You'd have a very cool image of Captain Kirk with all these kind of furry things uh, around him. Trouble with the Tribbles. And the Tribbles were little things like guinea pig things, right? And they just kept breeding. And, they, and because they kept breeding, they just. The whole place got packed with these tribbles, and Captain Kirk's up to here with tribbles dropping on his head and things. And the trouble with the tribbles is this. They were born pregnant. That was the problem with the tribbles. They did two things in life. They reproduced and ate. Now, I know that sounds like some of you, but that's another sermon. That's another sermon for another day. Uh, But they reproduced and ate. Ate. And I believe that's how women would be. Women would be born pregnant. Jesus said, Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What does that mean? I mean, this is, this is him calling people to become believers, calling people to become disciples. But from the word go, he's saying, follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. In other words, from the word go, reproduction's part of the agenda. In other words, this is going to do you so much good. Follow me. You're going to be so blessed in following me, Jesus says. But also, it's not going to stop at you. You're not going to be a cul-de-sac. You're going to be in the highway of the Great Commission. You're going to be making disciples. So will you commit? Will you commit to making disciples? Every church planting a church, every small group starting a small group, every believer making other believers. When you've experienced love, you share that with someone else. That's how we do it. That's how we care for the multitudes. That's how we deepen community among us. And that's how we impact beyond us. Because both are absolutely essential. So let's unpack the verses. Jesus starts by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a claim. Um, Plummer, who's a 
uh, Bible theologian. Uh, he's written a commentary, and this is what he says about that. All authority in heaven and earth, Jesus said, has been given to me. One asks, who is it that dares thus confidently make an amazing claim? Who is it that utters it as though it were simply a matter of fact about which there is no question? Not merely power or might, such as a conqueror might claim, or, but authority, something that is his by right. All authority embracing everything over which rule and dominion can be exercised. Not only upon the earth, but also upon the heaven. Human thought loses itself in the attempt to understand that which must be comprehended in such authority as this. Nothing less than divine government of the whole universe and of the kingdom of heaven has been given to the risen Lord. No mere human being in his senses can make such a claim as this. Jesus, having died on the cross, risen again, he said, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. All authority in heaven and earth. Only God can make a claim like that. And Jesus made the claim. And do you know what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He really could have gone on and said anything he wanted after that. And it would happen. Because he's the one with all authority, right? He's made such a huge claim. And then he could have literally gone on and said anything. And it would be guaranteed to succeed. And he called us to go on the back of that and make disciples. Furthermore, all authority in heaven and on earth tells me this. There's no no no-go areas. You see, the disciples, the apostles who heard that commission, they went out, they went everywhere. They went among the, the pagan Greeks and the Romans. And they were persecuted, and they were told you can't preach here. But they went, because someone was a higher authority than the authority that told them they couldn't preach. Someone with more authority than them, than Caesar even, told them they could preach. And it's his land on earth, all authority on earth. And we give them to him, he told me to do it. So I know you're a lesser authority, you're telling me not to, but I have to. And they did, and they preached. And despite what the Jews said, they still preached because there was a higher authority giving them permission. So here's the truth. All authority has been given to Jesus, and Jesus commissions you. That means you can share about him anywhere in our society. Iran might tell you, you can't preach about Jesus in our country. But Jesus, who has all authority over the earth, is the dominion over and above the authority on the ground in Iran. And he's given you a higher claim. He said, you can preach in Iran. He's told you you can't share your faith in the school. Well, Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, has told you, go make disciples. So you can preach anywhere. There's no door in this city you can't knock. There's no street corner you cannot stand on and share your faith. There's not one person on this earth, no matter how politically incorrect it is, that you cannot share your faith with. Because the one with all authority in heaven and earth has given you commission in his earth to go and share that message. Now, it doesn't mean we should do it with arrogance. You've got to do it with humility. It doesn't mean that I have authority. No, no, you do it with humility and you respect the authorities and you respect the schools and you respect your employers, absolutely. And you do it diplomatically, not weirdly and heavy-handedly and fortunately in the throatly. You do it honorably and you do it coolly. You do it like Jesus did it. But nevertheless, you have absolute permission to share your faith anywhere in this earth. He has all authority on earth, but he also has all authority in heaven. That means he has authority over the spiritual realms. He has authority over the devil and his demons. There are no spiritual domains that can hinder you sharing this message. See, he has authority over the heavens 
and the earth. And therefore he commissions you. And you have permission to go absolutely everywhere on this earth. And notice the Great Commission starts with him. Before we look at our mission, it starts with him. The focus is him. All authority has been given to you. We sang about him earlier. He is absolutely awesome. He's paramount as a church. We're about the Great Commission. But because, we're about the Great Commission because we're about him. He fills our horizons. He captivates our heart. He's changed our lives. He's alive. He's risen. He's here now. He's here by his spirit. And we love him. And you live for him every day. And he's the reason you do what you're going to do at the Great Commission. Because he's the one who's commissioning. He's the focal point of your life. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, we say, okay, I like the theory. What's, but what does it mean to make disciples? Well, I'm going to give you two points this week. Now, from now on, I'm going to give you two more points. And next week, I'm going to give you two points. So altogether, there's four points here because it's two plus the two is the four. And that will be our very simple stepped pattern. This is how you make disciples. Step one, two, three, and four. I don't, if you don't remember any other message this year of the 52 messages that gets preached, I want you to memorize this one and the one that will follow next week. I want you to get it into your system. I want you to understand what we're talking about. I want you to become very familiar with these four things. And I want you to become part of your DNA. In fact, we've produced little silicon wristbands that these four words will be on because it is a circular process. And we want you to have it and you'll wear them and you look really cool. You look like a teenager again. You look so cool. And you can, you look and, I'm, and then you, you'll have a reminder for you to, uh, to do this. Go make disciples. So Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. This comes to the next thing. Point number one, engage. Say engage. Engage, engage who? Well, engage the unchurched. Engage people who have never known God. Engage them. See, when the disciples heard Jesus stand up and say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. I don't think for one minute they were sitting there thinking, he's asking us to go and find some believers and make them better believers. And yet for so many people, that's what discipleship is. It's a members only thing. It's a for those who are already believers thing. And yet, if that was our definition of discipleship, if we said, all right, discipleship's our solution, church, and if that was our definition of discipleship, it would turn the church inwards and it would kill the momentum because it's not God's definition of discipleship. God's definition of discipleship starts before people are saved. Now, you become a disciple at the point where you decide to follow Jesus, but you go and make disciples of those who are not yet following Jesus. So that's the agenda. Go make disciples. The biblical starting point for discipleship is evangelism. Sharing your faith with another person. Steve Merle, who wrote a great book called Wiki Church, he said this, by separating the Siamese twins of discipleship and evangelism, we effectively kill them both. You've got to have both. You start discipling those who are not yet saved and they become disciples when they get saved. Now there's a difference. He didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. You see, people talk about just accept Jesus into your heart and you'll go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus told us to go and make. And you don't actually see that message in the Bible. Just accept Jesus into your heart and you'll go to heaven. I believe you go to heaven by putting your faith in Jesus. I believe that. 
but we lighten it. We make it so lightweight. And God's not talking about something that's lightweight. He's saying, go make disciples of Jesus. In other words, what we're asking you to make isn't people who just happen to come to a meeting and pray a little prayer and accept Jesus into the heart. But we're asking you to go and make people disciples. And the word disciple talks about someone who follows Jesus. You're asking people, will you commit yourself for the rest of your life to becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus? It's a bigger ask, right? Bigger ask. But the one with all authorities asks us to make that ask. And therefore, it can succeed. And we're going for the the real thing here, folks. We're not talking about just boosting the numbers and having a vague allegiance to Jesus. That doesn't change the city. In fact, that just puts people off Christianity. What we're looking for is people who are the real deal, who are saying, I'm not just a convert, I'm a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Dallas Willard said this, Jesus never called anyone to be Christians. He only called people to be disciples. It's so provocative of you, Dallas Willard. 27 times in the New Testament, people like us are called believers. Five times in the New Testament, people like us are called followers. Three times in the New Testament, people like us are called Christians. But 269 times in the New Testament, people like us are called disciples. The word disciple is the Greek word, metetas, which means one who learns instruction from another a learner or a pupil. In other words, a disciple is not someone who's static. I just said earlier, I'm changing. Remember I said that? That's because I'm a disciple. If you're a disciple, you'll also be changing. If you're not changing, maybe you're not a disciple. It doesn't matter if you say, well, 10 years ago I accepted Jesus. Yeah, but you're still a nut. You know, nothing's changed. You're still living, nothing, there's no evidencing of a transformation in the inside. And actually what we're talking about is a disciple who's a follower. That means progress. That means not just start here, but journey, moving towards Christ-likeness. Not that that gets us saved. We're saved by his grace. But the evidence of that true salvation is that actually we're not going to be stuck in a rut. We're going to be going in an agenda. We'll be going in a direction. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. It's about becoming like Jesus. That's a disciple. It says in 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Whoa. That kind of raises the bar a bit, doesn't it? You must live as Jesus lived. So go do some miracles. I'm serious. Go pray for the sick. Go share your faith. Go expect great things to happen through you for the glory of God. Because that's what it means to be a disciple. Maybe today you're, you're here, and you, I, know, I know this message is predominantly for people who are church folk. This is for the family of God here. But maybe you're visiting, or maybe you, you haven't even yet connected with God. But let me just say to you, God loves you more than you will ever know. The point of his death on the cross was for you. He died as your substitute on the cross. He rose again on the third day. He's alive right now. And you can know him. And you can embark on the biggest adventure of your life by becoming a follower of this Jesus. And I don't, I mean, whether you commit to this church or not, that's not the issue. You might go and commit to another church. Fine. I'm not plugging this church. I'm plugging Jesus. You go become a follower of Jesus for the rest of your life. 
at the end of my message here, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept that invitation, to follow the one who died and rose again, and let him be the Lord of your life. And it'll be a big, it's a big ask. So you might want to think about it between now and the end of the message. But if you're ready to make that decision, I will give you that opportunity to come to the front and make that commitment. A hundred years ago, uh, last week, the Titanic sunk. And you know there's been some of the anniversary, uh, I was going to say celebration, that's the wrong word, uh, commemorations. Um, One of the survivors of the Titanic was a lady called Eva Hart. And she remembers the night on the 15th of April 1912 on which the Titanic plunged 12,000 feet to the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. Two hours and 40 minutes after an iceberg had gashed a 300 foot long gash in the side, the starboard side of its hull. Uh, She recounts the moment when the ship went down and this is how she describes that night. She says, I saw all the horror of its sinking. I heard and I heard an even more dreadful The cries of the drowning people. Although 20 lifeboats and rafts were launched, too few and only partly filled. Most of the passengers ended up struggling in the icy seas, she says, while those boats waited safely at a distance. Only lifeboat number 14 went back to the scene after the ship had sunk down to the bottom just to see if people were alive. It chased after the cries of the people in the water and tried to get as many people out of the water as possible, putting them onto lifeboat 14. But no other boat joined it. Some were already overloaded, but actually most were half full. People were just scared. They were scared that if they brought the people out of the water into the boat, there would be such a rush of people trying to get in that they would be swamped, that the boat would rock, and that they themselves would be drowned. So they kept a safe distance away from harm. Folks, Jesus said, I've came to seek and save the lost. I came to seek and save the lost. And he's commissioned us to do the same in his earth. One of the biggest obstacles to us doing that is fear. Fear. Fear that as we go out into the treacherous waters and rescue those who are in dreadful situations that it will rock our boats too much, that it's too far out of our comfort zone. But Jesus Christ, God of heaven and earth, entered into human history, took on human flesh, died on the cross, rose again. He was willing to do all that way out of his comfort zone in order to rescue a dying world. And he's asking us to do exactly the same. But you say, Abba Peter, this isn't helping us as a community. Well, let's forget that for a minute. We'll get to that. The Great Commission totally builds strong community. But it starts by reaching the unchurched. Because it's never meant to be a community that's just stuck. It's meant to be a community that's growing. Where every person, like Cain described, is loved and embraced. Whether it's their first time there, whether it's their 15th year there. 95% of all Christians statistically have never won a soul to Christ. Do you know what would be a great goal? Is that 95% of you every year win someone to Christ. Wouldn't that be a phenomenal goal? And like, oh, Peter, that's so hard. I know. I feel it too. But surely it can't be our strength, right? It's, if he commissioned us, the one with all authority in heaven and earth, then I reckon he, by his spirit working through us, 
He's got the, it's him that does it, folks. He's, he's out there looking for the people by his spirit. And he just wants to look through you. Just be a vessel. Just be a vessel. Just be willing to speak up something. And you might get some flack. Yeah, you might. But don't do nothing. We have a great commission. It's the one-armed judo move. It's the one thing we must do. And we've got to start here and do it. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. Do you consistently witness for Christ? Do you consistently share your faith? Or do you not consistently share your faith? Are you too scared that you'll be rejected or have a stigma? Me too. But we cannot share. I'm going to give you three things to do. And we've talked about these three things before. But I think they're just very simple and it makes it real easy. The first thing is pray. The second thing is care. The third thing is share. Pray, care, share. Say after me. Pray, care, share. So you can pray. Pray for people you know who aren't yet saved. Pray for opportunities. God, today, would you let... I I find it hard to even broach this subject, God. Would you let the conversation come around? Would you let them ask me questions, God? Would you stir a holy inquisitiveness in their hearts to ask me about you? Because I want to tell them about you. They're drowning. Pray for opportunities. You know, pray that... Pray that God will prompt you every day. Maybe, maybe it's, God, do you want me to send a text message to someone? Just be open. God, do you want me to send a gift to someone? Make a phone call to someone. How are you doing? You know, it's the right time, right place thing, God. Just let, and my ears are open. I'm, I'm, all, I'm not just, because sometimes our prayer life can be so consumed with our own list, right? We go, I've got this problem, I've got this. And I'm, I'm the same, right? We've got all these things we're praying through. We've got this struggle and that struggle and this issue, this overcoming thing. And then we really get on to the, by the way, Lord, is there anyone out there you might want to rescue who might be drowning on the edge of the brink of eternity today? Let's try and get our prayer life, because you need to know, seek first his kingdom and everything else will be added. I really believe he's the father who wants to hold you and he can totally care for your needs. So let's get past the needs and let's get on to God. Where are the people today that I need to tell about you? Father, would you... Give me the opportunities. Would you give, is there anything you, I need to hear, God? Is there a text message you need to send? Is there an email I need to send? Is there a gift I can send? What can I send? Can I send a leaflet? Lord, what do I do? And then secondly, care. There was a young sales rep one day, and he was disappointed because his sale fell through. And he went to his manager and said, I guess it just proves that you can take a, lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. The manager said, son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Is our lives making people around us thirsty for Jesus? Now, are you living this stuff? I mean, you claim to be a Christian, but you're, you're totally, overtly living opposite behind closed doors. You're sleeping with your partner, and you're not married. You're, you're swearing and living like the rest of them. And, or or you're, da, 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 you're, you're, you're to, your life totally contradicts the truth you're claiming to believe in, right? Is it that? Well, come on, rein it in. It's not that your good behavior will save you. It's Christ that saves you because of his death and the cross. But actually, out of honor and gratitude to him, surely transformation should start taking place. Okay? So partly that will be a witness to them. But also, it's not just a passive, your life is nice. But it's an active, you're caring for people. You're looking for the opportunities. Someone's in a place of needs. And you say, I can meet that need. Now, you should do that with each other. You should 
it should start here in the church. Do you know people in this room? Do you know this crowd of people? Have you met someone's need in this room? Have you got to know someone in this room and you actually know beyond just the surface, hi, how are you doing? But actually, you have a need. Can I meet your needs? Have you got to that point yet? So get past this superficial, every one of them. Don't wait for, but no one's done that to me. I know, I know. But don't wait for someone to do it to you. Do it for someone else. Don't wait for the pastoral team to do it for you. That's old culture. And we will do everything we can to do it for you, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be God's people doing it for the glory of God. So care in here, but also care out there. At work, when someone's going through crisis, you be the one that's there for them. And it's not on the condition that you can preach at them, but it might well open up the way for you to share with them. So you pray, you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And then you share. And you just tell them. You share with them about Jesus. You tell them about his love for them. You do it in your own fumbling way. You might think, I feel like I've got this down to fine art. I really don't. I feel like I fumble over it. I, I just, I'm reading the Bible and I see something so glorious being described there. And I feel, honestly, I feel feeble at trying to describe the magnificence of God to people on a Sunday. I feel feeble. I just think, honestly, I wish just, I won't speak today, God, just lift the roof and show us. It's so glorious. And yet, God uses our feeble attempts at just saying it. And his Holy Spirit makes it real. Because it's not by sight, but it's by faith. And it's by faith that you're saved. And it's by faith that they'll get saved. So you share it in your own fumbling way. You can start by, this is what God did for me. And ideally get to the point where you talk about the cross and the resurrection. But just say it in your own fumbling way. And if you, you even just bring them, let me bring you with me to church. You know, and it's, then it's not just a stranger in a crowd. They have a friend they're with. And all of a sudden their journey has begun in relationship. So share. You know, it's interesting. In the Gospels, there are 132 times that it records when Jesus had encounters with people. Six of those encounters were in the temple. Four of those encounters were in synagogues. 122 of those encounters were on the streets, in parties, at weddings, in people's living rooms, beside wells. 122 of the encounters. That's where it happens. That's the game. That's the game. You're the players. Our goal is to see every single person in this congregation becoming active in sharing their faith with unbelieving people. And you know what? We want to keep seeing the hundreds saved on a Sunday. But our goal is also that you'll have the joy of seeing the hundreds saved in your living rooms, in your kitchen, over the telephone, on Facebook, making decisions for Christ. Alex got your tweet earlier on this week. Is it Rob? Friend Rob gave his life to Jesus this week. So awesome. Uh, Celebrate recovery. Where's Dennis and Sharon? Where are you guys? You guys here? They're probably down in Leith, yeah? Dennis and Sharon run Celebrate Recovery Tuesday night. Uh, last week, a guy gave his life to Jesus. And this week, or was it a girl gave her life to Jesus? And this week, a guy gave his life to Jesus in Celebrate Recovery. Uh, a few people got baptized from Celebrate Recovery last Sunday. People giving their lives to Christ through the week, not just Sundays. Cain, uh, how many people was it that you led to Christ who got baptized last Sunday? 
three. Just sharing his faith. Just, do you know what? Something, some people did something to him, and he's now doing that to other people. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus said, go do that. So take a moment, just pray for the person beside you. And this is what I want you to pray. I want you to pray, God, please help me and this person to become people who engage the unchurched and who do the Great Commission. Just take a moment, just do that. Pray for them that they'll become successful in the Great Commission, in sharing their faith. Amen. That's what we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so the second word I want you to get today, the first word was engage. Say engage. engage. And the way we're going to do that is three ways. Pray, care, share. Say pray, care, share. So we're going to engage the unchurched. And we're going to do it very simply through pray, care, share. Second thing I'm going to ask you to remember is this. Establish. Say establish. So Jesus didn't just say go make disciples. He said help those people to get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's not, just, it's not just a maternity hospital, folks. It's a family after the maternity hospital. If you look in the book of Acts, people came to faith. They were, the apostle Peter stood up and he engaged the crowd in Acts chapter 2. Thousands were there. And they said yes to Jesus. And then what's he, what did he do? He said, now I want you to get baptized, filled with the Spirit. I want you to repent. And then I want you to be part of this community of believers. What was happening there? They were getting established. Jesus told a famous parable. He said, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. Now the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. But the house on the rock stood still. But then there was the foolish man. And the foolish man built his house upon the sands. The foolish man built his house upon... It was the sands. The foolish man built his house upon the sands. And the rains came a-tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand fell down. Right. See, you do know your Bibles, folks. You do know your Bibles. Jesus sang that song. Okay. It's a great Bible verse. And here's here's the big truth. You need to be established. Storms are coming. I can't promise you a storm-free life. But I can help you to have a storm-proof life. We can't promise people, come to Jesus and have a storm-free life. No way. You know that wouldn't be true. Many of you are facing huge storms. You can't promise people storm-free lives. But you can promise people, I can help you to have a storm-proof life. And how do I do that? I help you get established on foundations. Because I tell you, as soon as someone comes to faith, they need a foundation, they need it quick. Because storms are coming. 
The devil will do everything he can to get them off their faith, to shake their confidence. So what are those foundations? Well, we see it in the Great Commission. Get them baptized. Help them to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, help them to repent. Get them baptized. Teach them to read their Bibles. Teach them to pray. Connect them with the local church. You know, if they're isolated, it's, it's like it's like a, a predator. If he can isolate his prey, he can take them out. Part of the establishing is get them connected in a local church. So we need to not only engage the unchurched, we also need to help establish the believers. Storms are coming. We need to help people get foundations. We've got a, a little thing I want to introduce now and from now on in our church. It's the Purple Book. I wonder why they called it that. Uh, it's purple. Maybe they made it purple and they said, I know, we'll call it the Purple Book because it is purple. Uh, or maybe, I don't know how these things work. But the Purple Book is written by that same guy, Steve Merle. And I've been really inspired by Steve Merle. He wrote this book, The Wiki Church, which a lot of what I'm sharing today is based upon. This Purple Book is written by Steve Merle, and this is basically foundations. And this isn't, this isn't the new Bible. It just simply reminds us what the Bible's saying. And I want us to become familiar with this. And for two reasons. First of all, I want many of you to get established. Some of you have come to faith, and you're not properly established. You've got some bits of foundations, but other bits are a bit shaky, to be honest. You've got a grasp of certain things, but there's some huge cracks in your foundation that if you're not careful, a storm will come and it'll knock you off track. And I really don't want that for you. I really want you to make it through. I want you to be the one that stood the storm and you were there 10 years later, 20 years later, right? I want that for you. So for your sakes, I want you to get a foundation. But also, once everyone's gone through this, then what are you? You are now equipped and that's the next word we'll use next week, but I'll come to that. But you are now equipped because say your friend comes to faith. You've got a book in your house. You take it off the shelf and say, I want to help you grasp some things. Now listen, the church, as the body of Christ, will help establish a friend in the faith. But I want to equip every single one of you to be able to establish your friends in the faith when they come to faith. So what we're probably going to do is we're going to talk to the home groups about this in more detail. But probably the plan will be is we'll run this in small groups, home groups. And by the way, we'll probably change the name home group to being small group as well. Okay, because uh, it's not always in homes. Sometimes they're in other places. And in fact, where we're heading, we want to have small groups happening. They could happen just after the service on Sunday because not all of you can make it midweek, right? Or it could happen in the morning before you go to work with a few, three or four of you. It doesn't need to be a dozen people. It could be three or four of you. So we want to make it a lot more accessible. So we're probably going to be running this in the small groups so that you can, everyone is going to, I want everyone to go through this. Why? Because I want us all just very, we'll all go through it once and we don't need to do it again, right? And we all make sure we've got this foundation. Just to be clear, I have a small group with the elders. I meet them every week, every Friday morning at six o'clock. We're hardcore. And we meet and we pray and I do discipleship with them because I'm not just asking you to do something. I'm doing something myself with them. And actually, I'm going to take them all through this. You say, well, is this not the basics, Peter? It is. But actually, I can't, I can't get enough of this. I love this. And it'd be really great if, I, if I'm just so clear on these things so I can help other people be clear on these things. So the purple book, you can get them on Amazon. 
feel free, just go ahead and buy it. £3.50 on Amazon. We'll probably try and do a bulk order and buy it and have it available at the bookshelf there uh, for as many people to... We, we can't, unfortunately, buy it for you. We just don't have the funds to do that. But uh, we want to have them available so you can buy them. And it'd be a great resource for you to go through so you're established, but then you're now equipped to take other people through it. So that's the, the purple book. So in conclusion, we're, we're talking about grassroots stuff here, folks. We're talking about doing one thing, the one thing that Jesus asked us to do, and doing it phenomenally well. Just really, just the one thing, the one-arm judo move, and becoming apt at it. I've asked, in, in the unpacking that, there's two things we're asking today of you. It's, number one, organizationally we have been making disciples. The organization has been doing that. But we're, we're going beyond that now. We're actually saying, not just organizationally, but we're asking you personally. Will you personally, every single one of you in this room, will you commit yourself to doing the Great Commission? That's the ask. And I'm looking for a response so just hear that passively. Just engage with that in your head just now and answer that in your heart just now. Will you go and make disciples? And I know we've got part two. Well, I'm not sure I know what's fully involved yet. Yeah, sure. But just as far as you know, will you commit to being someone who engages the unchurched and makes disciples? And the second thing I'm asking is this. We want every believer to be established on solid foundations, building the life not just on hearing the words of Jesus, but living the words of Jesus, like that wise man building on the rock. When the storms come, you'll be there. You're not going to quit. You'll be on track. You'll persevere through the tough times. You won't lose the plot when things get rough. Things do get rough. But you'll be solid because you have a foundation. I want. Will you all commit to being established? And then being equipped to help establish other people. Okay, so. If you'll commit to that. Stand. And then we'll pray. one or two of you okay that's good I was hoping for ten but that's great let's pray it's a solemn moment for even if it was two of you there's maybe maybe many more than that just I want you all to in your hearts make a decision before God to commit yourself to the great commission Jesus you said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me Therefore, go and make disciples. And we say today, yes, we will. Yes, we will for the rest of our days. Yes, we will with passion for the glory of God. Yes, we will because we love your church. We love your people and we love our city and our friends and our family members who don't yet know you. Yes, we will do this, Lord. That's what we're saying today. Come, Holy Spirit, empower your people to do this in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit.
I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.